Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 145 of Smart Enough to Know Better. Guess what? We're a podcast of science. Comedy. And ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. I'm Gregoire. And in this episode of Smart Enough to Know Better, can I get you a cuppa? And what is the speed of death? Also, when does the hurting stop? How long have we been searching the universe? How long? How long? But before we get to that, what happened to you this week in science? I have been a bad science communicator. I've been very naughty. Very, very naughty indeed. Uh, I... And people know, I'm sure you listen to the podcast, I'm, I'm a science communicator, science communicator by trade. Can't say the word, it seems, but that's fine. And Is it Lamarckianism? I... Have you been no, teaching no, no. Lamarckism? <laughs> no, but occasionally I do like to mess with people. It, it happens occasionally. My brain goes, I'm going to mess with people. So in the past, uh, give you an example, I went to a friend's, a friend's birthday party on an island surrounded by dolphins, and I spent the whole weekend convincing 10-year-olds that dolphins were carnivorous and that they were very dangerous and the only reason we didn't they, they didn't know that was because we had to they, they were so smart that they would drag you under the water kill you eat you and hide your clothes in the sand at the bottom of the sea now well, they are carnivorous these, yes but not but not i guess not not man eaters not human human eaters yes they won't, won't kill a human and devour their flesh well well maybe they do that's the has, whole point has, and, has a has a dolphin ever killed a human they must have. Well, maybe they have. That's they the whole have point. Fallen yeah. on them or something. <laughs> well, they, I know. Well, killer whales have and that sort of stuff. Like cetaceans have definitely killed humans. Yeah. Although killer whales have only done it in captivity. Really? Yeah. There's how, never how, been a wild killer whale that's killed a human. How do we know that though? How would you know? Well, they fill, they fill out a little form. Oh, oh sorry, that makes, <laughs> makes sense. sorry. I, sorry, a killer whale has never been convicted of the crime of murdering <laughs> a human. <laughs> Anyway, so by the end of this weekend, I'd managed to half convince 10-year-olds or 12-year-olds or 14-year-olds that this was true. So, and To the point where one of the 10-year-olds wasn't comfortable to get in the water in the dolphin feeding, which I consider the great victory. Other parents of that child weren't so happy with me. But, you know, that's fine. So occasionally I, I, like, to, I like to branch out. And I branched out on the weekend in, in <laughs> trying to confuse people. I overheard someone talking about why is the sky blue? And I don't know why I thought of this, but someone said it's got something to do with something called Rayleigh scattering. And I was like, oh, and I stepped into their conversation. Hello, I'm Greg. How do you do? Uh, yeah, I well, hang on, hang on. When you say you stepped into their conversation, what, what's your relationship to these? Are these just two random people on the street? Random people. Oh, on my the God. So we were kind of in the same area and in, a, in, a, in a shopping market. And I went, hi, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hear, but I'm actually a science teacher. I'm like, oh, okay. And, and yeah, Rayleigh, yeah, it's Rayleigh scattering, Rayleigh scattering. Oh, you're right. I said, oh, what, what's, what's it about? And I went to say the right thing about Rayleigh scattering. And for those who don't know, why the sky is blue, we see it, perceive it as blue anyways. Two reasons. It's because the molecules of air scatter the blue light more so than, than the reddish light, reddish light from the sun. So we see the sun, sun as being yellow, and we see the sky as blue because the blue light's been scattered all around. That's the lower frequencies. And also, to make it more scientifically so correct, biologically... blue is like the base I, of the music of the sun. Sorry? Blue is like blue. the base of the music of, from the sun. I, yeah, that's a good way. I so the, that's nice so the light, so the yellow lights, the treble, and the blue lights, Ooh. the bass. 
That's, there you go. That's very nice. I like that. And the other reason, of course, is we don't see it as purple, which, you know, you think it would scatter the purple more, is our eyes can't detect it. So the rods in our eyes uh, make it look blue to us. So if you were a, a pistol shrimp or something like that, you probably see the sky as a, a vivid purple, but we see it as blue. So it's biological and physics, as, as most things. I'm only saying that because people get annoyed when you say it's just Rayleigh scattering because it's not just anything. It's you know, there's lots of different reasons. It's, the point of this is Rayleigh scattering. And I went to say those exact words, yeah. and then the evil part of my brain went, no, not today. Today we get to be the bad science communicator. And I went, have you heard of Sir Walter Riley? Uh-oh. <laughs> For those who don't know who Sir Walter Riley is, Sir Walter Riley was a Elizabethan-era explorer and bon vivant. He was considered one of the most important people of his time. Like He was a big friend to Queen Elizabeth I. In fact, there's, there's some theories that she wanted to, because she was the virgin queen, uh, that she wanted to marry him but couldn't. And then, and later on, when he married someone else, she got really pissed off, and because he married one of her um, ladies in waiting, and then they, she had them both exiled to the castle, yeah, into the Tower of London. Anyway, all, all sorts of stuff went down. So he had a really interesting life. Yeah, uh, but he, he popularized tobacco, and he didn't discover tobacco, but he popularized it so because he he walked around piping and smoking tobacco in Europe. People were like, oh, so Walter Riley, he's sexy and a big explorer and sexy dude. I'm going to smoke tobacco. So what I said to these people is, well, he popularized tobacco. And because of the blue smoke that it, the blue smoke that went up, it scatters the light. Have you ever looked through cigarette smoke? You're like, oh, yeah, we have. It doesn't look kind of blue. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why it's called the – that's why it's called what the What came over you? <laughs> the Riley we spent eight <laughs> years trying to tell people – I try to help people get on the path to good science. What, what I like, what I like about this, you think someone's it... just going to step in and go, "I've got a walk of shame," and help these poor people? <laughs> these people are going to go away and spread it, and you know what's going to happen is in twenty years' time they're going to defund sky science because <laughs> of like sky earthers, like flat <laughs> skies or s- smoke skies. What I'm really happy about is it sounds vaguely plausible. <laughs> it's like, as in when, when um, I can't remember his name, Tyndale, John Tyndale, sorry. John Tyndale actually did discover that light going through smoke is vaguely painted, uh, tainted blue. This is in the 19th century. So Walter Riley was in, in the Elizabethan times. This is much later on, but he couldn't work out what it was. So it was Rayleigh, Lord Rayleigh, who worked this out. But Riley, so Walter Riley and Lord Rayleigh sound close enough that if they even they hear the right thing, it, they're never going to they're never going to uncouple this. It'll always be wrong in their brains forever. Ah, uh, you're a monster. <laughs> Look, once every ten years—that's my—that's my take. I can destroy one science fact every ten years. It's like my cheat days. Anyway, how was your week in science? I had a lovely week in science. I went up to a, a a rainforest retreat, which was like covered in all sorts of rare Australian birds. When I think of rainforest retreat, I, I can picture people like walking forwards with chainsaws and all the trees going, "Nope, nope," just stepping backwards. Uh, well, I think I suppose that's what happens because they've got like these uh, these wooded walks, these like these pathed walks that we where they ch- cut down the trees and they put a little wooden path through, so you can just stroll through what is oh. generally quite tricky. It's called a, o- O'Reilly's Rainforest Retreat, and having all the birds there is called a O'Reilly scattering. I think, which is <laughs> that's why all those colours, all those blue birds, all the blue yeah. birds. That's what makes the birds blue. Um, <laughs> long way to get to that joke. <laughs> the 
O'Reilly's Rainforest Retreat is this incredible place. Was it actually called O'Reilly's it's Rainforest Retreat? It's called O'Reilly's, yes. Oh, <laughs> like, you started making jokes about O'Reilly, uh, about Riley Scatter, and I'm like, might have something. <laughs> so, yes, this place is called O'Reilly's, and you can go there, and they have bird feeding, so the wild parrots come in. They've, you've got king parrots and crimson rosellas that come in, and just... The, and land on your hand and eat the bird feed that you provide yep. for them. Ah, that's pretty cool. There are these birds up there called the green catbird, which have like the most crazy call. Like you'll hear it in the in in the forest, and it'll be like, ah, <laughs> and you're like, I'm not sure whether that's a cat up a tree or a baby up a tree, but it's so unsettling. This is, this is my, my, my father always tells me. My father's not born in Australia. He was uh, born in England but raised in South Africa. And he always says to me the big difference between South Africa and uh, and Australia, he said that in everywhere else in the world he's been to, birds are musical and melodic. So the way, and you ah, the birds. Ah, thank you, birds. Where Australia, it's like, ah, I'm a bird. We have a lot of parrots here. And parrots, parrots. This do is not, my tree. Back up, back up, you sons of bitches. Parrots do not tweet, tweet. They no are, tweeting. There's no tweeting in Australia. They look unlike they sound. Let's say that. <laughs> you know that they're there. Yeah, that's yeah. When they try and get your attention. They're like, food. <laughs> I'm sorry. And we saw a whip bird. So uh, you would have heard a whip bird. I can't do. Ah, oh, it's a. Because up at the end. Yes. There it is. And then the and then the female calls back and with a little bit of a... And you Ooh. can hear them talking to each other through the forest. So it's like, um, the male's and- going, are you up uh, for sex? Are you up uh, for sex? And she's like... Not now. Yep, yep. Not now. <laughs> <laughs> How about now? Not now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, possibly I'm reading, possibly I'm bringing my own subconscious biases to that. <laughs> but the whip bird, I, like I've heard, I hear it at my home all the time. Oh, like wow. it's, you, you hear it. Whip yeah, I've never back. seen a whip bird though, because they're mm. really tricky to spot. They sit up high up in the trees and such, and they're a little bit shy. Uh, but O'Reilly's is the only place in Australia where you can go and see a whip bird and watch it do its call. Because they won't Ooh. do it while humans are around, but there's a pair of whipbirds up there that have become sort of half tame, and will mm. come down and do the call for you. Exhibitionist whipbirds, yeah, nice, Oof. yeah, yeah. Because usually they keep their whips behind doors. That's right. Well, you know, that's fine. That's fine. That's good. That's there you go. It's, what what they do behind closed branches is up to them. I did see a lyrebird recently, not at O'Reilly's, but mm. they're the ones that do the incredible mimicry. Mm. And like mimic- they're very blue, are they blue or black? Uh, they're black, but with big blue feathers that look like <gasps> they they belong in your grandma's vase. Mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I saw one of them when I was in New South Wales a couple of months ago, which nice. was amazing. The thing at, that O'Reilly's is famous for is it's got some satin bowerbirds that actually hang around uh, during the feeding times, and they have a bower right near the retreat that you can go up and have a closer look at. It's like full of stolen stuff. Yeah, a whole bunch of stolen stuff. So it's not a nest, it's a bower. Mm-hmm. So they're two different things. They don't nest in it. It's a, it's a seduction lounge. Nice. For the bowerbird. 
Okay, he finds a well-lit spot in the rainforest, which is hard because rainforests yeah. notoriously dark. Yep, yep. He builds a little corridor out of sticks. It's like a doorway for the ladybird to come and watch him through. Nice. Which is sort of voyeuristic. It's kind of like one of those peep show theatre things yeah. where it's like glass and they sit on one side of the glass and the person dances on the other side of the glass. Yeah. So I've heard. So he fills... <laughs> I see. Uh, so he fills the bower with coloured objects, mm-hmm. uh, objects that the female can see when she flies overhead. They see light differently to us, so the colours stand out even more than we can see. Ooh, so okay. like the mantis shrimp, they're the colours they pick out are from a slightly different wavelength. And blue is really rare in nature. We think, think about blue. I mean, we see it in the sky, but we think of objects that are blue. That's not that common in the world, really. Yeah, this one was uh, filled with tiny octopus. No. What? It was... <laughs> That's upsetting. Just because blue ring, Dr. Uh, oh, I don't right. know where I was going wow. with that. So she flies down to watch. She stands at the doorway and he does a little dance on the other side of the doorway. And the Thank female dis- judges the display and either flies off or offers herself for mating. Ooh. Now, the thing is, the juvenile males look just like the females. So they fly down to the doorway as well. <laughs> they're, 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 like, they're like lady boy birds. So they watch through the door yes. and, and they just learn the dance for oh, when okay. they become a mating male. I, so right. that's how they share the dance moves. <laughs> so the male, the, the sexually active male goes, that's a lady. I'm going to dance for it. Yep. And then it's, and it's like, thanks, granddad. I'm out. I'm like, God damn it. That's Showed pretty much it. Moves. Ah. So when they're around humans, they tend to grab blue plastic objects, which makes things right. pretty easy for the bird because they don't decay. Yep. Uh, but in nature, <laughs> they collect flowers and stones and berries and they dec- decorate each one personally. Like different birds will prefer blue or pink or orange and blue. Okay. Like they've all, all right. got their own thing. Uh, but the thing that blew my mind was that they also collect bones and skulls and nice. decorate their seduction lounge with just owl skulls. <laughs> like, I've killed an owl, ladies. I'm I've killed a predator that kills us normally. I'm that kind of I'm that kind of bowerbird. The satin bowerbird is like a super goth. <laughs> well, it's a, I mean, she it's the same as, as if you know in your seduction lounge. We've all got seduction. All humans have seduction lounges, obviously. Like if you just had like a giant sword on your wall, you're like, oh yes, yes, I'm a master of broadsword combat or a moose should... head and a stuffed bear yeah 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 good like, evening yeah. janice oh this old thing i shot it on a holiday back yeah. in the when there were still bears <laughs> so manly just one question before you begin you're not a 12 year old boy are you because i've fallen for that trick before janice is like no i'm not Revenge! Dan? Yes? You know the speed of I mean, you have my attention. We're in a Skype call. Like, you don't have to be like, hey, are you still watching? Don't ruin the magic. I'm assuming that in my head I just heard a... My my brain edits it in. Yeah, but I'm, I'm I'm not fading away. Just keep talking to me, man. I'm right here. You've got my attention. You know the speed of light. Sorry, what? <laughs> uh-huh. Do you know, 
people know – I'm going to wet you then. People know the speed of light. They're, they're kind of aware of yes. the concept of the speed of light. It's exactly 654 trillion kilometres per angstrom. That's not even a thing. Those words, they were, that's very good. It's roughly 300,000 kilometres a second. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Fastest speed there is. But that's the speed of light. But what is the speed of death? But it – what? The – those like, two how, things are not connected in any well, way. Yeah, no. So, I mean, it's really hard for science or for doctors to establish when death is. They've got to do stuff like, oh, when was the last time the heart did a beat? Yeah. Because the the heart dies at a different time as the brain dies at a different time as the last cells die. That's right. And then the memory of the person. Are they truly dead if they're still in someone's memories? Well, yes. Yes, they are. Um, That'd be weird to, like, the time of death, 80 years after they were put in the ground. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Oh, wait, now I've, now I've brought them back to life again by uh, thinking about them and writing them down. Memory zombies! Uh. Let me put you out of your misery, Dan, and therefore you'd be at the speed of death. It's two millimetres an hour. That is the speed of death. Thank you. Moving on to the next story. What? What? Why are we talking about a like a a snail in a reaper outfit with a scythe? As long as you can travel faster than two millimeters an hour, you will never die. So, but just like that movie, which has the sexually transmitted death, what's it called? It follows. It follows. That's the one. Then, then basically, you can never sleep because it always walks after you. This is not helping at all, is it? Anyway, no. the point of this, <laughs> the point of this is they're talking about cellular death. So when your your cells will just die, they undergo uh, they self determinate basically when required, and if they don't, this can lead to problems like cancers. I mean, cancer is basically a cell that goes, no, nah, I'm never dying. I'm just going to grow here, and I'm going to make more of me. That make more of me. Yay! I'm amazing. It's a flamboyant cell. Yeah, that's right. It is basically. It's like I'm too amazing to die. There's more of me everywhere. Da, 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 da. I've got now. You've got a lump on your head, and then you die. So you know, it's, it's it looks it's a fun. bit like some bananas and some apples, and uh, <laughs> but uh... I'm the Karma Miranda of cells. Uh, anyway, this is wow. It's really, really, that's why they call it the laughing disease. None of this is true. Yeah, you, you've gotten into the mood to to lie about science, and now <laughs> now you're stuck in this little this yeah, little loop. That's true. But no, this, it, is, it is actually, I'm telling the truth, you have to believe me, it's two millimetres an hour. So we're talking about the, the death of cells. And when you're, even when your body was developing in the womb, your cells had to die. They had to undergo this death. So your hands, when they were developing in the womb, they were almost like flippers joined together. And then the cells between your fingers had to undergo this death. So they die and then your fingers could come apart because otherwise yeah. you'd be fused, fused together. So bits and pieces of you, your cells are dying right now. They have to undergo death so the next cell can renew them otherwise good riddance to them that's right yeah it's good at terrible things so programmed cell death is very very important but we humans didn't know how it actually these cells would die did they get a signal for a long time we thought that maybe there was a chemical put out into the body and so when the cell is touched by that chemical then it it dies because that's that's the chemical signal to die but now we don't think that that's actually true 
it's not considered no longer a chemical signal slowly uh, you know, transfusing or diffusing, I should say, through the cell. There's actually now it spreads as a trigger wave. So when one cell is told to die, that it starts to die and it dies from one side of the cell to the other. And then when it touches the next cell over and that part dies, so that that part ah. that's dying touches, it sets off the next cell death as well. So there's actually a, there's a, a storm front of death that moves across the cells. It's and like it a moves. whole bunch of old people who are standing next to each other and whenever they touch each other, they give each other a heart attack. So there's one guy and he's like, oh, and he goes, oh, and he puts his hand up for support yeah. on the next guy and then he puts his hand on the next guy and goes, oh, and the next guy goes, oh, 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 oh. So the wave moves about 30 micrometers per minute, and that's roughly two millimeters an hour. So inside your body, that's fine because, you know, that's that's fast enough. So there you go. The speed of death is two millimeters an hour. But Stay healthy, so what, everyone. What activates it? What activates yeah, it? Yeah, what starts it? And do we have like a, a whole bunch of waves of this going through our body? Yeah, basically, yes. So the cells themselves have... The co- are coded into themselves to die at a certain point. So it's self-destruction of the cell itself. So this, the cell basically goes, I'm going to die now, and then it dies at the right time. So it's told, I mean, it's built, and it knows how long it lives for, and then it dies. So it doesn't. It, some of them will replicate, some of them won't replicate, but the cell itself has a has a lifespan, like like the um, uh, but, like your milk in your fridge. But then didn't you say that it has to tell the next cell to die? When they die in a wave, yes, they have the trigger wave. So when ah, once one goes, right. it sets off the next one to go as well. So once they start going, they all go. Oh, like dominoes. Like dominoes or, or whispers or the telephone. <laughs> die, 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 monkey die. dishwasher, die, die, monkey dishwasher. And, and look, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's what cancer is. Maybe it's like die, 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 earth, derf, earth. Nerf, nerf. I'm not. What's nerf mean? I'm going to sit here. Yeah, I'll nerf. Yeah, yeah, I'll nerf this f- body. I'll nerf it. <laughs> A couple of episodes ago, you were talking about your biopsy in your arm. Yes, I had one in my face. That explains it. Oh, oh, no, it's it just a little tiny one in my nose, which wasn't the most pleasant experience. No, I can imagine inside your nose. Outside of my nose. Oh, okay. Just there, but you can't see. It's tiny. Right. It's like the size of a pen cap. Oh. Little teeny one. Just one stitch. But the nurse told me to take two paracetamol to relieve pain, which I Mm. expected. What I didn't expect was that she also said, don't take just one. Dun, dun, dun. If I say the word Panadol... To our international audiences, I mean paracetamol. Uh-huh. Uh, Panadol is just a brand name that everyone in Australia uses. It's like the generic name that we call call it, like a biro. It's not. It's mm. just a or a Hoover. Or a Hoover. Hoover. Yeah. So I, hopefully, I won't say the wrong thing, but who knows? It's now, paracetamol. Okay. If I say the word paracetamol, what I'm actually talking about is acetaminophen, <laughs> right. which is the Rolls active the ingredient tongue. in Tylenol. It's the exact same thing, but apparently they call it something different in the US. You think that weights and distances are complex to talk about. That's <laughs> nothing when it comes to the confusion of medicine between countries. Right, okay. Because medicine is something that people are often allergic to. So it's yes. like, is there any paracetamol in this? It's like, no, great, take it. Oh, it's full of acetaminophen. <laughs> I discovered something recently, which blew my mind. You know, we talk about endorphins in the brain. 
Endorphins. Yes. You said, hey, endorphins. And you're like, cool. Let's see if I get this right. Endogenesis morphine. I think that's right. So what it is is your body makes something very similar to morphine. Hello. So it's built so it, it genesis is it's made inside endogenesis, so it's made inside morphine. Now and they don't want to call it that, so they call it endorphins. But endorphins are endogenic no endogenesis ah, yeah, endogenesis morphine. That's not quite right, but it's, it's something in there. So that's why we get addicted to morphine, because our body's like, well, we make that. We, make, we want to be happy. We go, yay, endorphins. So when you have a lot of morphine, you're like, woo, I'm super happy. And heroin is like that on steroids. <laughs> Bad example. But yeah, it's it's it basically it links to the same things inside your brain, but even more so. So you get like a massive hit. So ah. there you go. Anyway, so endo- so, so don't, if you would so like don't... to be happy, Greg suggests morphine. Oh, I, I know. No, 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 no. Come on. I'm suggesting heroin. Oh, good point. Good point. <laughs> Since I've been a teen, I've been a bit wary about painkillers. Everything. Like, well, about everything. That's true. My friend Georgia would, in, during high school, she'd say, oh, Panadol doesn't work very well on me, so I take mm. three or four so that it works. Right. I, mm. you, and, and I used to avoid taking painkillers if I could mm. because I was like, oh, well, one day I'm going to build up a resistance and I would rather... I'm sure I'm going to have more opportunities for pain in the future. Mm, mm. And I, 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 from what I understand, you're a bit like that as well. I, I don't take I don't take medicines. No, I don't like medicines at all, uh, unless I specifically. So it's have all just to... healing crystals for the while. No, no, it's it's normally the hot fire of internal rage. I, I'm lucky. I seem to have a very very high pain threshold. I, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine until I'm dead. When I really go down hard, then. Yeah, basically, I'm I'm crippled. I don't have that thing. I don't, and I'm not. You can never compare someone else's pain, so I'm not, I'm not mocking other people's pain. But I don't understand how human beings seem to go being sick every day and sore every day. And and there's some people with chronic. Fit, I'm really not mocking people with with problems. I'm glad I'm just not one of them. I blame my mother for many things. And this one, <laughs> my mother told me I, I was very very young. I was a small child, and I said, "Mom, I've got a headache." And my mother looked at me very strangely and went, "That's really weird." Because it's medically impossible for children to get headaches. What? And I went, oh, okay. Obviously, I don't have a headache because kids can't have headaches. Your mother wouldn't lie to you about that. No. And what's the funny thing is I don't get headaches. I, people get headaches every day, and I just don't understand. I'm like, what is, what is this experience that you're experiencing? Your head hurts. Like, what are you talking about? Like, have you hit it? Like, oh, no. It's just I've had a hard day, and I watched too much television, or I stared too long at a screen. I'm like... What are you talking about? I could never – I don't know what a headache is. I honestly have no idea. And it seems awful. Like some people get migraines. Like our friend friend of the show, John Birmingham, gets migraines. And so does another friend of ours, Amy Curry, gets migraines. And that seems to cripple them. And I don't – I can't – I have no frame of reference to it. So, yeah, and I'm very lucky. Yeah, so saying I that – I hate headaches. I don't, I don't the problem get is if, you, if, if your leg hurts, you could it's, – it's down there. But if your head hurts, it's right there where you are, like behind your eyes. <laughs> the little man pulling the triggers. Yeah, it's like it's like an alarm going off in his ear rather than somewhere downstairs That's in the so basement. Weird. You know what my my cure for like if I hurt if I stub my toe or something like that, I don't don't take painkillers. I sound like an old man that lives in a in a log cabin. I don't do painkillers. Um, what I, I do is some... I tie a radish to my belt. It's very and then very I bury similar. it at crossroads. I hurt myself somewhere else. <laughs> 
It's really weird, but it works. So let's say I stub my toe and it's bleeding. And you go, oh, God damn it, it really hurts. And I have to take my mind off it. I'll grab my as a soft part of my of my hand between my thumb and my finger and I'll squeeze it as hard as I can. And so you go, and it kind of hurts. And then I go, and I don't, I'm, I'm focusing on that. I'm not focusing on the bleeding foot. And it works for me. Just put it that way. So I'm not saying it'll work for you, but um, yeah, it works for me. It sounds like you've turned to this into what I it seems to be the witchcraft portion of the, of the podcast. <laughs> I'm just saying what works for my body. Yeah, I mean, as 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 our doctor friends would tell us, just take you know, just take aspirin. Yeah. Why why grab your foot? Take two Panadol, but not one yeah, yeah. and yeah, not, not four. One. But now I'm interested. Why one, Dan? Why why not one? What, will it kill everyone? Will it kill me? Will it kill you? What's gonna What's gonna happen? Well, the Panadol website states that ages seven to twelve should take one tablet, and ages twelve to adults should take one or two. Children's paracetamol is given as a syrup, not just because it makes it easier to take, but because body weight is crucial in working out safe dosages and syrup is easier to cut in half than pills. Right. Now, children should have 15 milligrams. Is paracetamol that dangerous? Oh, you have no idea. Children should have 15 milligrams of the drug per kilogram in weight up to four times a day. If you have more than that, you're risking liver damage. My God. If you have less than that, you're not hitting a critical mass of the drug in your system, and it doesn't do anything. It's no, it's no different than a placebo. Right. So I, I'm 80 <laughs> kilos, uh, and that means that if I have a 500 milligram pill, that's 6.25 milligrams per kilo. Nothing happens. Right. But if I have a double dose of four pills, or more than four doses in a day... I'm already pushing up against a really dangerous amount in my body. Okay. Now I read how long some... would you have to, But how long would you have to do that to get liver damage? Like, it's not like four pills, liver damage. It's it, like... Well, that's the thing. You start damaging your liver if you right. have five or six doses. Wow. Well, well, not five, but yeah, six or seven, and it's, it's already, you're already risking it. Wow, okay. Now, here's something amazing. An article in the Daily Mail stated... Hang on. No, that's the Daily Mail. Ignore that one. Okay, the effects of paracetamol in the body don't stack. It's basically an on-off situation. You need enough for it to turn on, but you can't double its effects. Right. So if you've got chronic pain or large amounts of pain, paracetamol is never going to help. You need morphine or codeine or microdoses of crocodile. Paracetamol... Or heroin. Hmm? Heroin. Oh, if you're a pussy. Um, Paracetamol (laughs) is responsible... For 14% of poisonings in Australia Oof, and 5% wow. of drug-related deaths. Good Lord. So, yeah, be, be real careful with that shit. It's, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. little wiggle room. Yeah, just, just don't take them. Just, just, just punch just, yourself in the hand. No, don't punch yourself. Just human up, goddammit. Human up. Stop taking things. Because I, I, always, I no. always think that... Pray to Gaia. Don't know. <laughs> If doctors prescribe it, take it, obviously. But I just always think when people go, oh, this thing's happening and therefore I took this thing. I'm always like, no one told you to do that. That's placebo. I'm sure a lot of it's placebo. Oh, I was feeling a bit ill, so I took I took some Nurofen. And you're like, well, that just stops swelling. It's not going to help what your problem is, but you feel better. That's placebo. Yeah. Like, well, but, yeah, okay. but you can't just take Tic Tacs and have the placebo thing Hang kick in. That's right. Dr. Greg says, take two Tic Tacs and send me a bill. But not four. You'll overdose. 
By the way, Tic Tacs is what we're calling heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Space. Human beings have wondered, have wondered, are we alone in the universe? And for the last couple of decades, for the last couple of decades, human beings have been looking for other intelligent life, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And we found the technical term is bupkis. 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 Nada. Squat diddly, as the scientists say. Null. Null. And this has led to a lot of frenetic hand-waving from scientists and non-scientists about something called the Fermi paradox, 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 paradox. So what's the Fermi paradox, Dan? Oh, uh, the Fermi paradox is that there are heaps and 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 heaps of stars in the universe, and we look at them all the time, and you would expect with so many stars that there would be at least some other life out there. But when we look at it, we can't see anything that indicates it. Like if an alien had created a green star... Green mm-hmm. stars can't be created naturally. You would have to yep. have someone do it manually to mm-hmm. kick it over and start it up. It's like an old mower. <laughs> and then we, if we saw a green star, we'd be like, oh, there you go. Fermi was wrong about his paradox. That's definitely got to be aliens something or some sort of intelligence. That's right. Because the idea is that there are so many stars and so many planets around those stars which we've discovered now. And we assume that quite a few of those would be support life of some sort because we why not? We don't really know. So that's the problem with the Fermi paradox. The, the and the the Drake equation is we don't a lot of the variables. We have no idea what they are. Uh, we know what they are, but we don't know what the number would be. And we, and we think the universe is quite old. It's thirteen point eight roughly billion years old. So that you know, doesn't for an seem alien that race, old. Pardon? That doesn't seem that old. I, I like think our planet's only four billion years old. I feel yeah, like we're four, still at the beginning. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I side with you on that one, Dan. I th- people kind of go, the universe is so old. It's really not. Like, the universe, some of those stars, red dwarf stars, are going to last for trillions of years, thousands of billions, uh, compared to our sun, which is going to last 10 billion. It's already halfway through its life. I think we're in the hot, exciting part of the universe. Like, when we're young and hot and sexy and wear sexy pants and go dancing and that sort of stuff. It's, we're that kind of universe. Like, yeah. You know, yeah, we're an exci- fun and exciting universe. Anyway, but still, if an alien – life seemed to start as, on Earth as soon as life could possibly start, like the sun formed and the planets formed and then suddenly potentially life could form, boom, life, Earth. And we're thinking, well, that happened on Earth. Why hasn't it happened like a billion years earlier somewhere else? And if an alien race had a billion years ahead of us, they'd be right across the galaxy, right across the universe almost. So we don't see them and that really frustrates people. But – I feel this is a bit weird. It's a weird way of looking at it because it just shows our ignorance more so than our that we actually know what's going on. And I'm, 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 just, I'm not just going to lambast people. I just want, I want to point out why. There's been a great paper that came out. We're putting in context how long we've been searching and what we've actually searched in the universe. So looking at the radio waves coming from other stars and looking at all the other stars. You said before, we've looked at all these stars. All of them. We found, like 90% we found nothing. of them, surely. Yeah. And the answer is we really haven't. We just haven't – we've looked at almost none of them. And that's the point. There's so many stars out there. We've looked at almost none. 
in the visible universe. We, we, okay, you get light every night from those stars, but that, that's just a point of light in the sky. We don't see anything, and they could also be billions of light years away. So, well, maybe not the actually not the ones that are were visible to us. But anyway, the ones that are visible in radio waves, galaxies, they could be billions of light years away. This paper decided to look at all the radio waves that have been looked at and all the searching that we've ever done for extraterrestrial life. And they yep. put it in a really interesting way. If you made all the universe to equal our oceans on Earth, think of it that way. Yep. So the oceans of Earth equals the entire universe, visible universe. The oceans are huge. Oceans are huge. Oh, you can't how swim much, them. How, you can't swim. You cannot swim the universe. Exactly right. You get very tired. And, yep. then, a, and then a space shark will take you. Boom. Wait, Especially is this after, before or after I get attacked by dolphins? Well, the space dolphins. Anyway, the point, <laughs> the point of this is I want you to tell me if, if all the oceans of the Earth equal the universe, how much of the oceans of Earth have we searched for mm. life? You're looking for a fish. Dan, prove to me there are fish in the universe. How long – not in the universe, in the oceans. How much of the oceans have we searched looking for – Bertie Commerce fish. Oh, like the Atlantic and most of the Pacific? Close. You're pretty close, close there. Yay. You're pretty close. It would be one tumbler of water. I'm holding up a tumbler. It's very visual. Like, It'd be great on some sort of video. Like like a big tumbler? Like well, well, one the size of Arkansas? No. <laughs> no, just imagine something you might go to a milkshake shoppy. That's what the kids do, isn't it? And got a milkshake, that size tumbler full of milkshake. Oh, that's, that's how much of the world's oceans. That's a lot. Yes. That, that, now, that's not a lot. Now, if I said we, you're looking for fish and I dunked this cup into the water, bloop, and I hand it to you and said, are there fish in here? And you'd say no. Does that mean there are no fish in the ocean? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not following. Oh, I see. No, no, no. It means that you picked the wrong bit to search. Exactly right. We've only searched a very small bit. Now, Dummy. That was, uh, that's right. We just haven't looked. Now, that was only four years ago. So four years ago, it was one tumbler, one tumbler, all the radio telescopes, all the telescopes, all the search for extraterrestrials. We looked at one tumbler of the ocean. But, oh, well, Dan, now we've got better telescopes. That's right. In the last four to five years, amazing telescopes have come online. Uh, one I'm pretty aware of here in Western Australia, the Murchison Wide Field Array, an amazing telescope out in the Murchison Desert that's been running for about four years. It can scan the sky much faster. The CSIRO, which works one called ASCAP, they have created something called a phased array feed, so it can basically scan the sky 16 times faster. So we're getting faster and faster at scanning the sky with all these new amazing bits of technology. So in the last four years, these amazing scopes have switched on. We're searching for, for extraterrestrial life. A breakthrough listen is the, 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 Russian, the Russian guy who put, gave lots of money to the Parkes telescope. He's bought some time on the Parkes telescope on the east coast of Australia to search for extraterrestrial life. All these oh, yeah. things are now looking. Guess how, now how much? Used to be a tumbler. Four years later, how much have we now searched the universe, Dan? A bathtub? A bathtub. A little bit more. A jacuzzi. Hey! So we've searched a jacuzzi of ocean of the universe. Once again, not found one fish in that jacuzzi. It's probably too warm, too many bubbles. But also a lot of pee and champagne, which is a bit gross. And sometimes semen. What are these scientists doing? (laughs) Not scientists. Who knows? It's disgusting. It's the universe. It's very filthy. So the idea, when people get upset or not upset, they get sad that we haven't found aliens, we really haven't looked much yet. We just haven't looked that far. Don't give up. That We're not, we're not saying we will, by the way. This is not me secretly pointing out that we're going to find something. We just haven't really looked yet. I think it's like the equivalent of looking for your keys 
in an aircraft hangar and at night and only having a little like the light of your phone on the ground and that's all you like a, like a centimeter off the ground and you're looking for your keys it doesn't mean your keys never existed it just means you just know where to look in the aircraft hangar and it's times that by a million so don't give up everyone i'm not saying we're going to find them because you know there's lots of reasons maybe life doesn't form very often maybe multicellular life doesn't form very often maybe intelligence doesn't form very often maybe intelligence yeah, destroys I can back itself. that up <laughs> well 50 percent of this podcast proves it hmm. Hmm. self-deprecating or just plain rude hmm. <laughs> what is that <laughs> hello listeners hello greg it's now time for readers questions Ooh. Al Batson has a question about tea. He writes, I drink a lot of green tea. Have you tasted green tea, Greg? Yes. Yes, it is a garbage drink from the Orient. <laughs> That's just tea. Oh. Uh, I'm just pointing out that tea tastes like tannins and tannins taste like us. Uh, so. <laughs> well, in Al's case, he likes the fancy type, which is sold as little balls being the growing tips of the tea plant, plucked, Ooh. rolled tightly, and dried. When, when dropped into freshly boiled water, the leaves rehydrate and unfurl, producing a refreshing drink that he enjoys. Out oh. of curiosity, he dropped some into room-temperature water. Very little happened for a long time, and the characteristics of the drink that he enjoys never really developed. Ooh. His question relates to why does the temperature of the water make so much difference? Ooh, that's science, that is. Well, brewing green tea is very similar to brewing black tea. Do you like black tea, Greg? No. No, of course you don't. You're a filthy little man from the colonies. I wouldn't trust you to know culture if you grew it yourself in a Petri dish. <laughs> that's actually fair enough. To make a cup of tea, take a box of tea bags from the pantry. Now throw them in the bin. <laughs> or, if you're an American, the trash. You won't need them. Rinse a teapot with hot water and tip it out. This warms the pot, preventing the almost boiling water from cooling too quickly. Put two teaspoons of loose black tea leaves in your pot. Boil the water. Wait until it's just coming into a rolling boil. May Do can I stop? I need, I need to stop you here. I'm sorry. Yes. If we're going to be accurate about this. I, don't, I, don't, I know you're on a roll here. Yes. Boiling at what pressure? So sea, sea level or top of Mount Everest? Top of Mount Everest would only be about 80 degrees Celsius. So sea level about 100 degrees Celsius. So where do you want it? You don't even drink tea. Why are you being so pedantic? <laughs> You're talking sea level, aren't you? You're talking sea level. I'm we, we talking just... Buckingham f***ing Palace. <laughs> the classiest f***ing place of the world. <laughs> don't do those gang signs. Westminster <laughs> represent, fool. Please, please, pray forgive me, sir. Go on with your tea education. All right. You wait until it comes into a rolling boil. Do not wait until the jug clicks. The longer it boils, the less diluted oxygen will be in the water. This will change the taste of the tea. Now, as soon as the rolling boil occurs, pour it into the teapot on top of the tea leaves. Allow to steep for two minutes. If you're superstitious, you should turn the teapot three times anti-clockwise. What? 
We are more enlightened men on this podcast, Greg, so we shall only turn it three quarters of a turn in whatever direction we prefer. We then <laughs> allow we then allow it to rest for another one to three minutes. Oh, I'm already bored. Three the, minutes. The Brownian motion settles <laughs> after two minutes, and so That's you not a thing. you turn the Brownian motion. Any motion's a thing. We're not going to settle the brownie in motion. Well, the, it, it, the, 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 the churning of the, the hot water in the tea oh, I see. Okay, slows fine. down and you turn it three quarters of a turn so that it reactivates it and redistributes the heat. So it, uh, it gently jostles the tea leaves again. <laughs> I see. Okay. The longer it steeps, the more bitter the taste. Pour mm. according to your tastes. Tea is a dynamic drink. <laughs> Take a large coffee mug from the cupboard. Fling it from a cliff top. <laughs> Rinse a fine bone china teacup in warm water. Add a small amount of milk and or sugar to the bottom of the cup if you prefer. Some would say that it's more polite to add the milk afterwards. But alas, if you do this, the smaller stream of milk hitting the hot water burns the milk. Best to pour the relatively thin stream of hot tea into an already warming pool of milk. Here we go. Sip. It will be transcendental. It will <laughs> warm you when you are cool, refresh you when you are warm, calm you when you are anxious, and wake you when you are tired. It has many antioxidants. It is not fattening. It truly is a miracle drink. In Al's case, he is brewing the Eastern drink. In his case, he doesn't want Careful. to brew it any hotter Sorry, careful. You want me to make sure that I don't accidentally go in there and sort of take over and then split the country in two <laughs> and put all the Muslims in one side and all the Hindus in the other. All right, I'll be careful. Thank you for your advice. In Al's case, he does not want to brew it any hotter than 80 degrees Celsius. For our Myanmar listeners, that is, rather intuitively, exactly 1.83333 recurring times the difference in temperature between a mixture of ice, water and ammonium chloride at its eucleric point and the average temperature of the blood of a healthy man. Of all the ridiculous temperature scales that we've proposed on this podcast, that's the one the Americans use. I mean the Myanmese. Yes. If you brew your tea too hot or for too long, the easily dissolved cachachins can be overwhelmed by the more slowly released tannins. This results in a bitter, unpleasant taste. Al's question is why hot water dissolves these chemicals better than cold water. Imagine mm. a golf ball with a small pile of sand on top of it. The sand gathers in the divots of the ball. The sand has potential energy. It's ready to roll down the ball and cascade to the ground but it's stuck in the divots. Mm. But if I shake the golf ball, that sand will jump out of the divots and continue its journey to the ground. This is a kinetic representation of what's occurring at an atomic level. The hydrophilic chemicals jump straight off the golf ball, but the hydrophobic ones are caught in the divots. Add some jostling, heat energy, and the atoms are bumped out of their divots and continue out into the world. In the case of the structure of the dried tea ball, those leaves would be bound by resistance to electrostatic potential energy. And Ooh. without adding heat, there's not enough energy to bump them apart and allow them to unfurl to their original state. And now we could put our differences aside and enjoy some lovely, refreshing tea. 
Except for Greg, who will be drinking, I'm not sure, gruel, muck. <laughs> Engine oil. What do you drink, anyway? What all the humans drink. Mm-hmm. That thing that everyone drinks. You know, tea. Like, tea. Oh, then, yes. Mm, tea. I pour it right in my input hole. Tea's awful. Tea's awful. You know what's worse than tea? Coffee. Oh, you say you've decided to make the other the other half of the listeners angry at you. Smart. Yep. Look, look, look uh, what I'll say about tea is tea at least doesn't lie. It smells bad and it tastes bad. And so, therefore, I, I'm like, that's good. Coffee, coffee smells amazing, tastes like mud. It's the worst. And so I hate coffee more than tea because at least tea is just rude to your face. And you're like, you're a bad person and you're rude to my face. Coffee's like, hey, man, we're the best friends. And you go around to his house and he stabs you in the goddamn liver and takes your wallet. I like, know no. how he feels. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Walk of Shame, where no one has sent me any walks of shame for Greg, and Greg is sitting there grinning like the master from Doctor Who. <laughs> Dan, 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 Dan. You, that you sounds like up- the, the intro to Batman. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. With, within about 12 hours of releasing the last podcast, three Walk of Shames were brought to my attention. Fudge. Very quickly. Very quick. Two of them within five hours. One of them was only a couple more hours later than that. Very impressed with the listeners. So we're, we're all of them for you, Dan, I'm afraid. Obviously, I made no mistakes and never do. Prove me wrong, listeners. Yeah. Prove him wrong, please. <laughs> so here's one a nice quick one from dan spence so uh basically he points out that we occasionally talk about uh humans being being monkeys and of course humans are not monkeys humans are hominids and hominids are more similar to apes so uh we don't have tails like monkeys and we predominantly bipedal like monk uh, sorry we're like apes so i like go. to think i'm referring to more the story time monkeys the, the 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 narrative monkeys that we are. Fair enough, fair enough. No, we'll we'll, we'll I'll, I'll let you have that one a little bit. But, but you know, I'll take I'll take the walk. You know, I know. <laughs> look, I know we're apes and not monkeys. I'm going to keep calling us monkeys because it sounds more satisfying. It's it's, it's it makes it sound sillier. An ape an ape is kind of like a. We always see like sad apes or you know hanging out like the great ape or, or the, blah blah blah. Like, Yes, where, where monkeys like, woohoo, a monkey! Like, and that's how people fun. tend to act. Yeah, I think so. And unless they're chimps and then they're murdering each other. <laughs> Ugh, there you go. Now, Michael Barnes, who I, I'm pretty certain is now just the third host of the podcast. I'm not too sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he he again, seems to be well, better at researching than the actual <laughs> hosts of the podcast. At three minutes and 19 seconds of episode 144, Dan. <laughs> you see, yeah, you see... What terrifies me is I'm not visualizing him listening to it and then writing it down when he hears it. I'm visualizing him making like timestamp notes all the way through the episode and then picking the ones where the mistakes are. And that's so challenge. When I visualize it, it's real spidery handwriting too. <laughs> challenge the uh, at what point did I say the words SETI, Michael? If you find all the words and timestamp when I said the word SETI, I'll send you a free shirt. Well, there goes his life. That's that's kept him busy. It's yeah, like right. it's like throwing a bunch of grain down in front of a vampire. Seti, 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 seti. Anyway, 
Let's, let's get back. I'm, I'm mocking. I'm mocking one of our most loyal listeners. I'm sorry. Dan says, with regard to wind speed, you can make a wind vane. And hey, hang on, I'll do Dan's voice. You can make a wind vane, and you can measure how fast the vane spins. Is that how I speak? Instead of a wind vane, you need to use an anemometer, according to Michael Barnes, which looks like weather or wind vane. But instead of measuring which direction the wind is blowing with pointers, it's easiest to make version as four cups, so you can more accurately measure wind speed. Unless Dan is referring to a vane anemometer, which is not just a wind vane, and so not technically correct, but combines uh, a propeller yeah. and a tail on the same axis to obtain accurate and precise wind speed and direction measurements from the same instrument. The speed of the fan is measured by a rev counter and converted to a wind speed by electronic chip. Hence, volumetric flow may be calculated if the cross-sectional area is known. There That's you go. right. The vane's the pointy bit, not the yes. speed bit. Yes. Oh, or he could have been referencing – he gives you an out. <clears throat> or he could be referencing William hmm. Henry Dine's 1892 anemometer, which does include a wind vane in the construction in the sketch below, which there's a sketch of it. So he's allowing you to say you've researched so well that you've discovered William Henry Dine's 1892 anemometer. Is that right, Dan? Nah, I just f***ed up. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Remember, if you find every place I said SETI, the word SETI, that word again, SETI, in this podcast, I'll send you a free shirt. Just this podcast? Oh, just this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think all the podcasts that we've done today. <laughs> That's harsh, man. That's harsh. SETI. <laughs> all right. And the last one. This is one that warmed my heart because it, they know the listeners so well. Another Dan. It's always the Dan. What is it? Do you do Dan's all hate each other? So Dan Spence had a go at you. So this is Dan. This is another Dan. Dan from Gulgong. He seems to not like you as well. <laughs> we're, we're all supporting each other. All us Dans want the best out of all the Dans. Right. And that's why it's... they're helping me. So it's a Dan Dan revolution. Oh, that is a killer gag. Thank you. I, love that. I like that a lot. Thank you very much. At the end of your discussion in episode 144, writes Dan, Dan tries to conclude the discussion with the following sentence. Luckily, luckily, dinosaurs went extinct a long time ago. He's really tickled himself there. He is so pleased with himself. I'm sorry. That was rude. <clears throat> That's just not true, though. Birds are... Uh, birds are I sound like I'm hosting a children's show in the 80s. <laughs> Dan continues on. That's just this not true. This is a sulfur-crested cockatoo. <laughs> Blimey. It looks I'm gorgeous and has a voice like someone being murdered. <laughs> what are we doing? Walk of shame. Sorry, back again. Hi. I went somewhere else. So Dan continues, that's just not true. Birds aren't just descended from dinosaurs. They are considered to be modern feathered dinosaurs having evolved from further feathered dinosaurs within the theropod group. Thanks, Wikipedia. I like this walk of shame because not only is it not only is Dan wrong, but it rubs in the feathered dinosaur thing. Perfect. And I say, bravo, Dan from Gulgong. Bravo. I'm starting to really tire of this segment. Well, thank goodness we've run out of them. So thank you very much, all listeners. That really, uh, once again, I do love the fact that people write in and actually take time to write. I love it when you have questions as well. We've had we had questions today from Al Batson. We've had questions in the past as well, which led to entire segments. If you have sciencey questions, remember, we're just two idiots doing our best. But we'll do our best to answer them, or we'll try and get an expert to answer them. So feel free to write in. We'll do a little science cornery stuff. It's a lot of fun for us to try and work this stuff out. Sometimes we have to say, I don't know. Sometimes I may just write back and tweet at you, here's an answer or a webpage and I found some information. But, hey, why not? Let's all work it out together. 
oh my god, sexy community. A really sexy community. Seti, 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 seti. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. And Greg at smartenough.org. You can get along to the website, smartenough.org, and click on any of the social media buttons, including the Twitter button and the Facebook button, or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, or subscribe via RSS feed, or listen on Stitcher. And very soon, it's not ready yet, I don't think, but very soon we're going to be having a new exciting thing on the web page. If you listen to the last Wild Wonders Why, there was a bit of argy-bargy from ethicist, ethicist, it's a hard word to say, ethicist Kevin Lowe saying that no one ever contacts him about ethics. So we're going to give him that opportunity to answer your ethics questions right here on the podcast. So we're going to have a little form you can fill in and you can write in your ethical conundrums and ethicist and philosopher Kevin Lowe will occasionally answer them. Now, we'd like to point out we're not psychologists. We're not a psycho- uh, psychiatrists, and we're not trying to solve your actual. Like if you're if you're having an affair with the next door neighbor's daughter, please, you know, sort that crap out yourself. Uh, <laughs> when you know we're not taking legal. Don't you know? Come on, we all know what we're doing here. But yes, if you have an ethical in- information that needs to be answered, then you can get involved with us, and we'll try and answer them for you. That'll be up pretty soon. This feels like a recipe for disaster. Oh, I'm looking. It's going to be a it's going to be a train wreck. Maybe some sort of trolley problem. Now, last episode, I asked our listeners to come up with a fun <gasps> pluralized noun oh, yes. for our for for listeners. In, yes. in so much that people who listen to, to who watch Star Trek are Trekkies, and people who love Benedict Cumberbatch are Cumberbitches. We wanted to find out what would be what what are our fans? What should they yes. be called? Right um, now, Deb Walker had two suggestions. Mm-hmm. She said uh, the War Beasts. Although that sounded to me like a Mario Party villain. Uh, or she suggested the Danwars. Danwars? Yeah. I'm not I'm not that excited about that one. No, it sounds like a Canadian lake district. <laughs> uh, we also have to come up to the Danwars, eh? I have no idea. Taking a taking a weekend jaunt at the Danwars. <laughs> Bugs everywhere. Mosquitoes all over the place. The Dan And you can't get a margarita for under eight bucks American. It's um, it's highway rummery. Also, a listener called Poppy Cramond. Ooh. Or Cramond, if she's from Quebec, <laughs> said, following along with the Cumber Bitches idea, how about the SE2K Bitches? Oh, okay. Fair enough. So, we're keeping this open. <laughs> For... Yeah, I'm not too sure about bitches in the name. I always bit, that makes me feel a bit weird. Uh, look, if you if you own it, that's fine. But it's a bit. These are bit... all very funny. We're yeah, going to yeah. keep it open. We're going to okay. see what else you've got. If you would like to support the podcast, please do share us with your friends. Yes. You can also buy t-shirts on the website, or you can drop some money into the tip jar, or you could become a patron at our Patreon. Or you could just mention us on your podcast. Everyone has podcasts nowadays. So you could just go, oh, I love their podcast on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We do that occasionally. Okay. Now, if you give us five bucks a month, then we'll read your name out on the podcast every episode. We will thank you for it. What a deal that is. If you want to spend 15 bucks a month, then then I will insult you. Every episode. 
You're a bad man, Dan. This Why is you what you're this? paying for. I just you're a bad person. It's for me to go against my my oh. my 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 instincts and oh. abuse the people who love us the most. This this is capitalism. This is capitalism. This is what it is. I oh. don't know what this is. <laughs> like, this, I, that, this should not seem. This should not work. This is masochism, isn't it? This is the definition of masochism. Yeah, I think you might be right about that. Okay. Cap- okay. <laughs> so, first cab off the rank, Dustin Fallon. Dustin Fallon spent eight years working at Jiffy Lube. You don't spend eight years working at Jiffy Lube unless you need access to lubricant. Squirty, squirty, automobile lubricant. And all that that implies. Are you impl- What does that imply? Sex stuff. So the insult is he has a lot of sex and therefore he needs lubricant. With cars. Oh, with cars. Yeah. Oh, okay. Are you talking about inanimate? Ep- oh, okay. That's fine. Look, it's, as long as it's consenting. No, Michael, please don't do that. Oh, no. That just got weird. Turbo boost. Turbo boost. Oh, 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 no. Oh, kid, oh my no. God. It adds a whole new meaning to the phrase oh. night rider. The Scott Driscoll. Oh, I just realised. No, it's not. It's not masochism, Dan. It's actually sadism because it makes me feel bad, and the audience is enjoying it. <laughs> Scott Driscoll's job is to shut off the power to the poor and then intimidate them to pay. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> it is an unsatisfying job that doesn't bring joy to his life. It's all that he deserves. Oh, 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 that was, that's horrible. I'm so, oh, no, it's horrible. But so, oh, why do I have to suffer? I haven't paid anything. Oh, God. Eric Wilson. Eric, thank you for telling me I no longer have to abuse you. These are getting really hard to keep up and I'm desperately running out of ammunition. <laughs> okay. Tom Seary. I don't know, Tom. I don't know. Look, uh, think of that thing that you did in high school, that thing that you think about when you wake up at night, that really embarrassing incident that makes your whole body just flush with shame. And then you feel dumb because it happened 20 years ago and you're a different person now, but the physical sensation still haunts your body. Think about that. That's that's what I'm doing to you this week. (laughs) Oh, now I've done it to myself. Oh, yuck, stupid. Gosh, shame. We're better people than this, Dad. We're better. We've changed. We've changed. All right. Now, a big thank you to our $5 listeners. Those are Andrew Trousdale, Andrew Whitehurst, Ava Greenbury. I think that's a new name. That's a new one. Hello, Ava. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Oh, she didn't pay for a welcome. Just just her name read out. So none of this (laughs) pandering. EarthDog58, Alana Mitchell, Elizabeth Yunkin, Gary Heather, Gyroscope, Lindsay Jenkinson. Gyroscope! I just like yelling gyroscope. Matt Ewers, Matthew Toy, Michael Barnes, Natalie, Phil Holland. Now, you remember last week, Steve Eichenhout has been changing his name to try to get extra value out. Well, this week we have $5 from someone who calls himself Steve E says go vote. Oh, bit, there you go. Bit too late, Steve. <laughs> well, it's a good one in general. I'm assuming he's talking about the American midterm elections or whatever they were called, which, yes. Yeah. Oh, I suppose it is good advice. Yeah, go vote. But if you live in a democracy, then make, make sure you vote. 
It's even, and, you know, yes, there can be change. It's the only thing you can actually change is the people in power. And no, they're not all the same. Here's my advice. My totally unsolicited advice. You're never going to find someone to vote for who is exactly what you want. You, 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 we won't say never, but you very rarely will. They, they won't believe in the same thing you believe economically or socially or even in, in the smaller groups. They'll, they'll believe in that. Let's say you're, you're all about a same-sex marriage, but you really don't like euthanasia laws or whatever your thing is, okay? Mm. So form a militia and go and make them do exactly what no, you no, want. No, 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 no. But you, I, I guess you've got to find the thing that's super important to you and, and a couple of things and find the people who will vote on those things. Now, at the moment, to me, that's climate change. That's the, the the issues that are coming down the pipe at us. That's what I look for in politicians now. And does that mean I'm going to vote in a Nazi who really likes climate change legislation? Probably not. But I would probably vote for someone who doesn't believe in some of the other things I believe in before I'd vote in a person who doesn't believe in climate change. That sounds yes. like a trolley problem. It is. Like, it is a bit of like yeah. we're okay. We're gonna we're gonna wipe out. All oh, the people don't, don't, in Saudi Arabia, but you get, but but oh. we're we're going to stop burning oil at the same time. Like that's yes. a yeah. Well, that, that's, look, a, that's that's a that's a kill one person to save the other five type why of thing, isn't it? Why don't we get ethicist and philosopher Kevin Lowe on and have that conversation? Yeah, no, I'm. We are not prepared for that. <laughs> that like both of us are just like look, this is like this horror in both of our eyes going yes. da- why did dan even start saying this but my point of this is don't when you go and vote whatever you vote for whoever however you vote make sure you vote for the, the person who stands by the one or two of the main messages that you believe in and if they don't believe a hundred percent in what you believe in probably vote for that person anyway don't not vote because of it i think that's the killer that's when you go, they're not 100% me. Or here's the second one. Or B, go run for office yourself. Because hmm. the only person who's ever going to believe everything that you believe is you. Yeah. And you might not be, but you have to be a millionaire. You have to be a billionaire. Sometimes you do, yeah, but maybe not. Maybe the the ground root stuff can actually work. But on a local level, you're, people haven't got time Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't know. Look, I don't run for office. I always say this. I don't run for office. But I think you could probably be involved if you want to be. Not a political podcast. I'm just saying, pick the thing that you need. Pick the hill you want to die on, which I say a lot. And is that vote a, for that. Is that a militia thing again? <laughs> it could become a militia thing, yeah. And as we always like to say, SETI! And then the other one's sort of similar, but I want to go with it because it's it's more spiteful towards you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Good. Good. Jump on that narrative locomotion. No, it's because one person just said a thing. One person just went, oh, here's a thing. And then the other person went, here's a thing, which is just as dumb. I know it's dumb, but I want to see Dan's face. <laughs> So I was like, oh, look, look, if you're doing it for emotional harm, then I can't say no to that. Like, there's a, there's a definite reason you're doing this. It's not just being pedantic. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's the cause of distress. Now there's some sort of grinding going on, which is exciting. Sorry, I'm very... Uh, That's me. <laughs> yeah. I know, we always do it in the mid-afternoon. What am I talking about? Yeah, it's afternoon delight. Yeah. Sky rockets in flight. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. No, don't. The lyrics are... Problematic at best. It just means you and I are having sex, Dan. It's okay for you and I to have sex.
that would be all right. We're not related. There it's are not, so not... many people who would disagree. <laughs> Although a lot of them are bigots. They are. <laughs> like the, the bulk of them, I'm not interested in their opinions. <laughs> That's going in at the end, I'm assuming. Also, also a weird thing to say at the end of that conversation. <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> that's going in at the end. A sex guide by Gregoire. That's right. I've been hello. I'm Gregoire, fellow human. I've been following our sexual congress studies for many of your Earth years, and now I brought out a sex guide. Forget the Kama Sutra. It goes in at the end. Is the is the foremost 21st century sex guide for humans like you and and me. Sex guide. <laughs> Make oh more God. slaves, my a masters. I mean, enjoy sex. A sex guide by a robot is a fascinating idea. <laughs> Welcome to episode 145 of Smart Enough to Know Better. Yes! I can hear that. That's outside my window. What are they doing? Taking Hang off? On. I'm, I'm going to go find out how long this is going to be. All right. Bees! Bees! By the way, Tic Tac is what we're calling heroin. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we're paying for the podcast now. We're selling heroin. It's our tactic. <laughs> There's an ad from the dawn of time. Yeah, our, our young slash foreign listeners will be like, "Yes, that's not a good. joke. That's not a joke." <laughs> you have been listening to Dan at smartenough dot what? No, we. What about all the Patreon stuff? Yeah, that happens in during this. Oh, does it? Oh, oh excellent. Yeah. Shows what I know. Yeah, you, do you listen to the podcast? I, I, I'm not even listening to it now. Yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the pieces of the puzzle have fallen into place. <laughs> the people of the puzzles are falling into place. If only there was a resource where you could listen to my voice and get to a better mi- mimic of it. Is your is your camera attached to your computer, or can you sort of stick it on top of something else? It, it sits on my computer, like it's it's um. I, yeah. You know, do you want to know? You want to know? I, do you want to know what I just did then? <laughs> Shows you how dumb I am. I went to show you the camera by grabbing the camera and turning ah. it around. <laughs> I'm like a chimpanzee with a dot on its face, looking in a mirror, going, "That monkey's got a dot on its face." Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love that when you're holding onto your phone and you're walking around trying to figure out where your phone is too. (laughs) Monkeys are stupid.